Welcome back to the Herpin Hour podcast. This is episode 15. We're joined today by Shea, who runs Obsessive Recessive. In this episode, we'll get to hear about Shea's reptile projects and business aspirations. Thank you very much for joining us to record this week's podcast. No, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Loving beer. Thank you. So just to start off then, can you tell us a bit about yourself? You know, how long you've been keeping exotics and what Obsessive Recessive means to you, just so that our listeners can get to know you a bit more? Yeah, sure. So, uh... My first real experience with reptiles was I went to a Doncaster show probably about 15 years ago and I seen a pie ball, ball pie and I was like, oh yeah, that's it. But I was still living at home with my dad at the time, obviously I was probably uh, oh, about 15. And then, well then basically I had periods of time where I didn't own almost anything during work, you know, I mean, I started, I would fabricate a welder and stuff. Then I got my own place. I got a frilly lizard, a couple of turtles. And then I ended up moving out. I was only young at times, so one of my friend's mums who had all exotics and stuff, she ended up having my frillers and my turtles off me. But it always slightly bothered me because I didn't really, I'm not the type of guy that, you know, he likes to have an animal and then likes to see it move on. But at that period of time, I just, like, I couldn't give them all time and all care. So I did. So after that, when I had the next opportunity to get some animals, like, uh, Basically, I weren't having a good time with things, and generally speaking, I ended up getting two ball pythons from the show. And since then, it's been like, it's the place that I go to make my scent feel good when I'm not at work and stuff, you know, to unwind my stresses and things. And realistically, I got with my partner just at that time, five-ish years ago. And since then, it's just been a slow process. Uh, You know, a couple more ball pythons, and then maybe three years ago, I had my first clutcher eggs, like a... Six or seven eggs, normal to NG. Since then, I've just really loved the process. I really love watching it happen, watching them get gravid and, you know, putting males to females, seeing what your chances might be to get something beautiful, different combinations or proving out a genetic. To be honest with you, I watch a lot of YouTube people, YouTube yeah. stuff all the time. Really, that's like my nighttime TV. I think that's the thing with the Royals, though, isn't it? Like, there's so many pets and stuff to them it is a lottery when when you pair them together because there's so many combinations you can end up with and it's that is a it is a fascinating mm. process to watch when you are breeding royals because as i said there's just so many different morphs you can create yourself and if, it, if that's your specific side of the hobby that you really enjoy then it is going to be like a home away from home when you go to the show or when you're pairing yourself and you've got that season to yourself so no matter what life throws at you you've got that outlet of this is my pride this is my joy this is my pleasure yeah and generally speaking i only wanted to make a pied since that first experience i just always really wanted a pied so i bought three lots of hats two females and a male all as babies and grew them up over the course of two years and then i produced a pied and i got and i got a, a banana het pied and because really that was my dream snake like banana het pied i just thought like the most visually distinctive yeah. different look cool and then, and I've hit one of them for the last two years. I've kept this one from this year. One breeder male, 12 back. Yeah. Yeah, but um, I, generally speaking, I don't breed that many. I'm just looking to improve the quality of the collection each year and then just let go of the ones that aren't specific to my breeding plans. Yeah. That's what I was just going to say. I was just going to say, is that is that what pushed your interest in breeding? You know, like you said, the different the different moths and, you know, the health of the reptile. Yeah, and- 
and definitely watching YouTubers do it all the time, like doing different things and seeing all this different crazy stuff. And like I said, I really initially only wanted to make a, a pied and then a banana pied. And then like now it's like, oh, there's all yeah. these cool, interesting things. And I've got a friend that loves snakes that works sort of hand in hand with me. So it's also something for me and like my friends to do together at the same time. So it's like a community online with my friends and like my yeah. place that I go to just kick back at night. So. I think we all feel like that, don't yeah. we? And I think it's good that you've got that community side of it and you've made friends, you know, that have got you've got something in common with. Yeah, like when you go to Doncaster shows, you get to see some people that I follow on like, on YouTube yeah. and Facebook and things. And I'm saying like D and Joe, Gavin from Balls to You, there were Ethan, um, like there's, there's several different people that you get to see in real life that you watch all the time, do all their things. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I've never been to. I know, right? So June will be my first Donny show to actually see everyone in person. I think it's going to be wild putting like oh, yeah. page name to actual face. I think it's just going to be kind of mental going, oh, my God, you're the person that runs this. Oh, my God, you run this page. Oh, my God, we've spoken loads, and I didn't even know what you look like. <laughs> See, we had JTB on not too long ago, but before I even knew about his YouTube side, I was working in a reptile shop, and he'd come in, like, every week with his dad. And I had no idea oh, he did nice. YouTube and stuff. And then I kind of, like, I, I t- shut down my Facebook for the longest time. Like, I just couldn't be dealing with it. And when it opened it back up, all back up, I went back into all the reptile groups and stuff and he was in there as a peer review person and I'm like oh my god <laughs> I talked to him quite regularly in the shop and I didn't I, like I didn't even realize that, that so that my first encounter with him was working behind a counter in a reptile shop before I just like nice. knew that he he did the YouTube side but I think that's that's my preferred side of it all is all the peer reviewed stuff because I'm more into like I've never been one for the breeding side. It's that's not but it's something that's grabbed at me because genetics goes over my head. Especially when you've got the likes of royals that have so many heads and stuff and all that. I like the science side because it's pretty this is what it is. There's no variation with it really. It's simpler for me to understand. I don't know how Snake and Leo and all that people remember all the heads, dominance, all of that. I don't know. Like Stacey, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> anyone you know that works with any of those species just well it's just like a formula i suppose the real art is in seeing if there is multiple things in one animal it's being able to see and pick out all the things that are in it because like even still now looking sometimes looking at two three gene animal i'll be umming and ahhing for like several days weeks even me and my friend back and forth and we're holding up other pictures or other ones that we're pulling from you know all over internet, Morph Market, World of All Pythons, you know, Genetics Wizard, which to be honest with you, does the calculations for you if you just know what's in the parents. The art is in not knowing what is in the babies when you're just looking at them, if there's multiple genes yeah, in. Yeah, like, that's the same with Leo's with Stacey. Like, if you'll get a baby out and she's like, oh, well, it's this, this and this, and some of them are really hard to pinpoint, and I'm just like, that goes right over my head, that. Just yeah, and and I'm not Leo specific, so like my friend that I was referring to, he does a lot of Leo stuff. So he will tell me like, oh, this is Tremper, or this is uh, like Raptor. It's got this and that in it. And I honestly, I'm like, yes, Sam, <laughs> it, it looks beautiful, but I've not got <laughs> like, really what they nice. are or what they do. Yeah, that's it's like when sometimes people talk to you about like. 
like, I don't know, I'm not a massive car guy, like nuts and bolts wise. And they'll say, oh, they've this car. I don't know what model makes some models and things. I'm like, yeah, it was blue. I don't know. It was nice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he's like, this car is this, isn't it? And I'm like, oh, it's a nice silver thing. He's like, it's not silver, it's grey. And I'm like, no, that's silver. What species do you work with? Is it is it just uh, is it just pythons or is it other things that you've moved into? Well, we really work with ball pythons for breeding and crested geckos, yeah. generally speaking. Although I'm just in negotiation with someone to hopefully get some gargoyle geckos and then just a couple of like display pieces that are like cool, ge- like uh, the flying gecko, which is like, yeah. if you've ever seen a flying gecko, they just look they incredible. Do, do. Like, yeah. They've got the same hairs as on the feet as normal Tunes. geckos. They can climb walls. They've got like wing, wing flaps on the side and webbed feet mm. and like a tail like a, like a dinosaur tail they look they look incredible i love them they are really cool oh there's a bearded dragon i've got a, one bearded dragon currently there's that would be a bearded dragon in that but yeah I also, i'm also starting trying to breed my own live food you know mealworms dubia roaches all that type of yeah. stuff we set we set up like a, a little packs that you can have for like tortoises and geckos and you know foods that are like a like bee pollens and different food supplements that isn't just bugs. Uh... Yeah, I've seen those uh, before. I've ordered some off you in the past, actually. You know, you have pack a five bee pollen. Yeah. Um, I had a question about that, actually. I, I, oh, go on. I, I just wondered if you create those products yourself, you know, like your critter products and your bee pollens or, you know, if there's, we... if there's guidelines when you've got to put that product yeah so basically we look at the diets of different reptiles or at least specifically starting with the ones that we owned lizard wise obviously because the 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 food for the snakes you just buy that in generally speaking or you have a little your own little breeding project going on but generally speaking you just buy that in but we were looking at different flowers and things that they could eat uh, in the like in the ranges where they live and other things that were, you know, beneficial to the diet that wasn't just feeders, but sometimes that feeders could have as well. And, you know, sometimes like a box that, so say if you've got three or four different types of lizard, but they'll all eat the same type of greens yeah. and things, then you can buy a small box that do the variety of a mixed diet for your lizards. And you wouldn't have to buy a massive amount of these different things because we source them uh, from like reputable places with some of some of the things are organic where they can be um so we and then we try and just build a pack up that's suitable for different people's needs Mm -hmm. that's really cool because we couldn't really find anything like that when we were looking for our different geckos and lizards because like i say other than stuff we specialize in we've got lots of little bits of all types of things because obviously we love animals we've got cats dogs um obviously geckos snakes We've we've had we've had everything of it. Time like we've got um we've had fish, at us old house. Uh, if if we can keep it and it looks nice and uh, it fits into his lifestyle and stuff, we're definitely open to having it. Yeah, we actually just took on a rescue um lizard. It's a it's a Moorish lizard. Lizard. They call them a crocodile lizard. Some places. I used to have a Moorish lizard. Yeah. Did you? Honestly, yeah, it's come in. Species. Yeah. Yeah, well, a guy contacted us. We didn't know him, but they heard about us from a friend or a friend, like you do sometimes. And basically, he were at work. They had a shipping container come in from, like, Brazil or somewhere. Uh, yeah, definitely Brazil, because they called this gecko Rio. And this guy seen it at back at tank, at back at container-like, and realised it were a gecko, and it wouldn't survive in, like, the winter climates. 
So they basically boxed it up. It dropped its tail and he contacted me a couple of days later. To be honest with you, he had a right good little setup for it to say he didn't, he weren't really a keeper already and this and that. And he's like, I just didn't want to see oh, it. Good. Like, I just didn't want to see it go into cold in winter because I didn't think it'd survive. So I'm like, oh, I'm right, Sandy. He goes, I'd have kept it myself and looked after it, but he would just have to do his own things and stuff. So he's like, I've not got time and things. If you want mine, I'm like, yeah, sure, no worries. He come around that night, and uh, it's it's almost grown its full tail back. It looks just like it did before. It's it's a cool little thing. It's so fast though. It's not like any other geckos. They're really handleable. It's whip quick. It's up rocks, behind hiding places. You hardly ever see it to be honest with you. If lights are on. I was quite lucky with mine um, because we called him Ninja for that reason. He's very speedy. Oh, yeah. Um, but we managed to actually tame him down when I had him. Um, you could, like, hand feed him um, and he'd come oh, nice. out and he was quite curious. They are quite a curious species. Yeah, well, we've only had ours about a month and a half. And when it come in, it was yeah. dead small. So it's only juvenile. It's still going to grow to twice the size it is now. Yeah. So yeah, hopefully we'll be able to get to that stage. Mm, yeah, they are. The thing is, I find is that when we got him, because he was given to us, there is hardly any information about them at all. Like, yeah, they're not really common to England. They're not a morph market. Yeah, I yeah, can't they're find not any really anywhere. Something that people keep, like you know, people don't really go out of their way for them, even though like a really neat little species. Yeah, and they're quite common, quite close to us. They range from France to all over the Mediterranean. Yeah. So it's not like they're uh, a really rare species. Mm, it's not like they're like, oh my god, it's like I've never seen one of those. Oh my god, that's crazy! Like you know. No, people like, just tend not to keep thing. them. I don't know why though, because yeah, they're not cool I mean. as. I just don't. I don't get why people don't keep them. I think it's because, to be fair, they do kind of come in like a range of colours, but like because I feel they're not like you know the cresties, the gargs, the snakes, and things. I think that's a lot of yeah. why they're not as. Ours popular. is like Stonewall Grey. <laughs> yeah, they're sort of yeah, they're sort of just like all kind of grey we had um ninja had like these little like yellow like bits on him and stuff and dots on fired it up, fired up uh, fired up fired down oh nice but yeah he was really cute i have to i'll send you some pictures of him because i um, i don't have him anymore a friend of mine has him now um, but he's still doing really well with her. She sends me updates of him and stuff. Yeah, we'll we'll be posting it as next update for this uh, Moorish Gecko on his page in the next few days. Because his yeah, progress is, yeah, like, exponential yeah. from when it come. And it was so small and cold and mm. no tail. And, like, nah, it's almost full tail back. It's a little chunky thing. It's definitely... They are like, such little, it, like, they it, eat like it, it's it, going it, It's doing phenomenal. Yeah. Although I've never seen it eat yet, but I know it does. Yeah, that's the thing. I, I let, like before I was able to hand feed him, I was like, I don't see him eat, but I can see he's getting fatter. So he's eating something. I'm just not sure what it is. Like he's eating one of the things. And obviously once I was able to hand feed him like uh, every now and then, I knew that he was like what he started to like and what he did. So I stopped giving him obviously what he didn't like. Yeah. But yeah, he's yeah, they're really such a, I would a hundred percent get one again. Like I think they're really cool little species. Um, if I was able to keep Ninja back when I had him, a hundred percent would have, I'd take him back now. Um, now I'm in a better situation here, but um, yeah, I take it back now. She always knows that if she does need to get rid of him, he will always come yeah. back. Here. But yeah, they are a really neat species. Yes, I look forward to seeing um, your update of your one. Yeah, understand, and I see it looking forward to it growing to its full size because, like I say, it's just a little thing at minute. But I know it grows to, I want to say six inches, but I might not be hundred percent on that. But they definitely grow a substantial amount bigger than they are now, to about the size of a normal hand. Mm. They are very they they are quite sizable, to be fair. Um, I have noticed that there seems to be like 
almost like sort of you know how like lychees have locales and they're like slightly smaller and slightly larger i have noticed that with the moorish yeah. like everyone that i've seen that has had one that is an actual moorish has been either like quite small to like fairly sizable so i feel like there's some sort of you know locale thing or maybe like subspecies thing or something like that but because there's not a lot of information about them yeah it's quite 100%. Difficult to, to find out especially with their range being so so vast exactly yeah so there definitely could be some sort of like size um difference between between them all definitely i know you said you set up the the packs i've seen the critter packs i've used the bee pollen and i've also used your you know your forage boxes? Yes. Which is cool because like... The, t- the tortoise forage boxes. Yeah, but there's a lot yeah. of them that bearded dragons can eat as well, so that's... Yeah, basically we, we do have the list of everything that, that it's suitable for and what the different packs go with, and it comes out with the packs and stuff, so there, there shouldn't ever be a situation where you should get a pack that you shouldn't be, it shouldn't be suitable to feed to your animal, realistically, as long as you've looked at, you know... What goes to what? Yeah, and I mean, it's 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 a good idea that you've got and you've put together there because, like you said, you wanted to aim it at multiple reptiles, you know, rather than having sort of one product for one kind of thing. It's funny you should say that, actually, because the calcium that I use for the tortoise that I've got, it's actually, like, botanical, and when you read the ingredients in it, you can actually give it to other species, you know, that obviously... Yeah on the salad yeah stuff. some are some are things come with i think it's calcium carbonate but i'm not 100 percent. it's calcium carbonate it's definitely calcium something yeah no it will be it will be calcium carbonate but it's um it is interesting because i because obviously i do a lot of stuff with behaviors and things like that and um i had a, i had a look at all the ingredients through this botanical calcium and myogamas can have it because they're obviously a desert species and stuff and it's safe for bearded dragons as well so it's quite cool to have a product like that and if you smell it it smells more like you're just tipping a bunch of flowers onto something you know instead <laughs> instead so i just think yeah. if if people give it a read and look more into different things it's actually quite quite versatile really when it it is especially because it's a forage yeah as well there's that enrichment so not only is it a health positive it's that mental positive as yeah. well because you're giving them something that they can forage through so you don't as it comes with a box of the goods you can just give it to them and allow them yeah that's that's the feedback that we've yeah. had generally speaking that's what people like about the forage box yeah it's cool. so with regards to that then do you have actual guidelines that you have to adhere to or anything like that when you're you know when you put in your boxes together and when you know with your thought process of who you're targeting it at so I suppose it's basically anyone that owns their animals either singly because there's a lot of, like the bee pollen stuff lots of things can have that yeah. and we sell individual packs of that we can send that so either singly or for, for, for multiple things that's what I like about the, the the old bundle boxes because you can feed several things that you've got all at the same time. Yeah. But like you said, we do also sell individual things that we can send out to you. And we do the Pangea range and, you know, we're stockists of that. So, yeah, I've, I've uh, Your geckos and and that's what we use for our geckos, generally speaking, that and your actual feeder insects. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things that we, that we do, you can feed to your feeders to gut load to then feed to your reptiles. Yes, because I think within the hobby, a lot of people miss that like what you're feeding your yeah. feeder then feeds your reptile as well so it's always good to have a decent product to feed your feeder insects because even if you're paying that a bit bit extra for for example like a forage box or something 
all that goodness that your feeder insects are getting or in turn going to your reptile. That's actually the reason why I, I started the small breeding of the mealworms and everything else, because all the time while I've got the colonies, they're always being fed. So I'm always taking fresh fruit, uh, fresh food that's ready for the reptiles straight out as good as I think it can be before my animals are eating, yeah. as opposed to buying something off a shelf, you know, crickets, this, that, yeah. whatever. And then it's might have been on shelf for a couple of days, you know, it's dehydrated, it's not had anything to eat. And then if your animal's taking that in, it's not really its optimal nutritional value yeah. for what you can be feeding. Exactly. Do you do isopods? You know what? We've just started doing isopods. We do an isopod starter bundle kit, which comes with like your, your substrate in, different things they can eat, leaves, this, that. And to be honest with you, I think we're doing a thing now where you can integratedly choose different things to put in your isopod starter kit. Because obviously, we've only got three species of isopods currently. And we're doing an isopod trial testing thing over the last few months. Well, that's really successful. We've actually got all crested geckos, except us two first adult pairs on the bioactive now. All the babies we have, we put on bioactive, keep it sprayed down nice. We've got greys, dairy cows and oranges. And that's a self-sustaining colony all the time now. And we've got enough self-sustaining colony with excess that we can start doing like an addition if you want them send out as well in with the starter kit. But we've not done a sample test post and things like that yet. We've not done the things we need to fully do before we're comfortable putting it out. But that is one of the next steps. And I do love the isopod stuff, to be honest with you. I'm loving washing the bioactive tank I've got uh, that's, so, that's solely bioactive. When you spray it at night and everything comes out, it's it's like an amazing thing to watch. I absolutely love dairy cows. I just love dairy cows. Yeah. I think like the cutest little thing on the planet. Just, yeah. I have both species of dairy cow. I have the scaber and the levis as well. And they are just so cute. Love their faces. Yeah, so you're well more knowledgeable about the isopods currently than I am because uh, although there's a dairy cow and there's there's something that's like a dairy cow, but it's not. I'm not 100% sure. There's I'm... so many that are similar because... Yeah, but I was unaware there were two species of dairy cows, so you're teaching me <laughs> yeah. now. I have so many isopods. It's because I love isopods that much that I have an isopod clothing line for my business. Oh, um, is it? Nice. Yeah, I went out of the way and got like isopod lines <laughs> done because I was like, I love them so much. I must have them on t-shirts. Yeah, and if you love them, I bet someone else does. You know what I'm saying? It can't only be you. I think that all the time about the things. It can't only be me that loves <laughs> this type of stuff. So yeah. like that, I bet there's tons of people that want to buy them isopod tops. I'm not looking like saying. Everyone. I've got a couple of people that want to actually stock them in their stores as well, which would be nice. Um, is it coming like witty quips on it? Oh, I wish. I have actually been looking at, like, making, like, jokey ones. And I'm just yeah. like, I know people like these, like, isopod jokes. You should like, definitely do an isopod. Like, just rolled like, off. Like, just balling yeah. an isopod all rolled yeah. up. Because <laughs> I have a couple of different designs of all, like, my favourite species. But then the next lot of designs that I have coming are ones that are, like, purposefully for making jokes with. So yeah. when those come out, I'll be coming to you guys for some for some hilarious jokes to put on t-shirts. Yeah, well, like I say, I mean, I love integrating into community. I've not really found a bunch of people that are really into reptiles, not people that are just like, you know, by the by, but people that are actually into reptiles. I've not really found a group yet that's really, uh, don't get me wrong, I don't really listen to eight on Facebook because uh, that's not really my, my bag, but I've not really found a group of people that are passionate about reptiles that aren't good for a decent you know conversation back and forth mm. throwing it down community 
I think that's because, though, there are so many different ways to do things. You're always going to have that discussion because no, like, no two people usually will agree on 100% of the things. So there's always something new to talk about and always something new to, to learn about because, like, my personal opinion of it is doesn't matter how many years you've been in this hobby, you will always learn something new because science just oh, yeah, pushes so fast. And I think that's what I enjoy about it as well because every day is a learning curve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've just learned a new thing about uh, bearded dragon care. So, you know, the UVB bulb, uh, generally speaking, meant to be at top of tank. Well, it doesn't permeate the UVB very far from the bulb. So, like, now they're thinking it's a better system to have it going diagonally down one yeah, side of the it side. is. And, and, and then, yeah, yeah. So, I just found that out the other day. I'm like, oh, no, that's crazy. I'm going to have to start changing some stuff up. This the, like, um, you know what I'm saying? The, like, I'm like, the, the main reason for that is because the centre of the UVB is the most important part. And... What they've tried to do with that is give it a chance for your heat your heat source to be put in the centre of your UV bulb. So if it's done diagonally, you've then got more of a chance for that to happen, whereas the way we always used to do it, it was straight across the top with your, with yeah. your heat source to one side. And that isn't really the best way to mimic the wild. So, yeah, they've... Um, They've come out with a, a lot of different diagrams, the experts on the reptile lighting group. Yeah, that, and that's just what goes to show, isn't it, that the, the stuff that we know or think we know changes all the time. Yeah, oh yeah. So you have to sort yeah. of say, Luke, I've heard people say, oh, I've been in this, doing this for so long, for so long. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's sound, sound. And if it works for you, that's fair enough, fine, good for you. But like, it, the, the end goal is just basically trying to get down to what is best for the animal, yeah. isn't it, to keep it in best care, longevity. Uh, so... And if they're doing that and it's lasting a long time the way they're doing it, fair enough. They've probably got a semi-decent setup. setup. I mean, realistically, it's hard now with the information not to be able to take care of any of these animals up to a standard where they're quite healthy. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Um, it's just then basically like how much more time and effort are you going to put into, you know, make um, make sure they're not slightly depleted of vitamin B or D or the other things that they yeah. need. It's like... The age, like the life expectancy of them, has gone from like some some reptiles what reaching ten. What you were really lucky now, it's like hang on a minute, they're supposed to be reaching twenty years plus, and it's like it shows how in such yeah, a yeah. short space of time the science and our knowledge has expanded from going to well, you've got a ten year old animal there, you really push the boat out with that one. You, you, it's, it's it's smashed what it should be. So hang on, it's only ten. Generally speaking, in the wild, none of them would live hardly half as long. As that, you know, through predators, yeah, exactly. injuries, this and yeah. that. So in a way, captivity is aiding that process of the understanding because, like you've just said, like in the wild, you get sick a lot more frequently. They're going to be picked off by mm-hmm. something bigger and badder more frequently. Yeah, in breeding season, they might not be eating, yeah. you know, starvation. There's lots of things that can happen in wild. I mean, there's several things that can go wrong in captivity. You know, I mean, I'm not saying that mm-hmm. anything's bred in captivity the way it isn't wild. But if something's been bred in captivity for long periods of time and you establish a domain for what is its needs, you know, to keep it fit and healthy, then, yeah, I think things are all right being kept in captivity under pram- under parameters, especially things that aren't pulled out at wild. I'm not really a fan of things being pulled out No, I out agree wild. with you on that. I agree with you. Like, yeah. Unless it's for, obviously, conservation purposes. Like, it's... it's- yeah, 100%. And I agree. Like, don't be dragging. Yeah, 100%. It's like with the agamas we have. They're re- very they're... rare because they're farmed in um, Asian countries as to well. Eat. To eat. Yeah, which obviously no to way. eat their own. Everybody has 
each country has their own cultural standards on food. Yeah, yeah. Like, that's an animal that you can't get in captivity to be kept because it's being mass-produced for food, like, say, with cows and stuff. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm of the mind of as long as you're benefiting the species, if you're pulling, pulling it out of the wild to try and favour their numbers, then fair enough. But if it, you're pulling it out of the wild for willy-nilly reasons, then I'm, I'm not... I don't agree with that concept. Yeah. Like, I agree with you on that. Like, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not against, like, uh, you know, conservation of other species from invasive species. Oh, like, yeah. where they do Where they do the culling of the, uh, is it the reticulate pythons in Everglades in America? Yeah, and... You know, periodically every year and stuff because they're invasive and they got introduced through, you know, people owning and then maybe storms and stuff being released or people just, you know, not having right responsibilities and letting stuff out in wild that shouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that one. So, yeah, as well because obviously, look at the we we, we mentioned this with uh, Tom from UK the issue in Australia with because they're such a secluded like country. When something goes over there that shouldn't necessarily be there, it can completely demolish the ecosystem and everything yeah. else. And yeah, yeah, it becomes much more of a problem than it ever needed to be. Yeah, like cats are one of the worst things to be honest with you. I don't. I love cats. Like I've got two cats, wow. uh, but cat, you've got four. <laughs> nice. Oh, yeah, love cats, but like for outside for wildlife, yeah, the, honestly, they're detrimental. Yeah, they are definitely. Yeah. And that's another thing we're like not, not responsible people having lots of cats and like lots of strays, and you know what I mean? People not. Mm. That's why I'm actually quite impressed with, you know, the uptake in changes to laws and regulations based on like dogs and cats in the last several years yeah. in the UK. I think we've been getting, you know, good in a good way and all that. Definitely. Yeah, hopefully, going continually, like continuing on to, you know, protecting our wildlife a bit more hopefully yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but so I, I have also heard rumors of then also you know with uh, the new policies we've got for uh, importing exporting and this and that us with uh, in future we might not be able to be importing things all the time so i'm a bit disappointed if that's the way that we end up going down mm. but obviously I, I basically understand the principle of it but obviously i love the new genetics that come from america you know different places all the time yeah I think that's our problem as a, a little island. We don't have the outreach that a lot of these other countries have because they're so massive in comparison yeah. to us with such a diversity in, in the reptiles that they can keep legally. Although I don't agree with a lot of what they can keep legally in some of these countries because you just should never be in captivity. But we have that small island where it gets to a point where you are just then rebreeding the same lines over because there's not that many people yeah. you can expand out to. So I think it will be detrimental in that aspect if you're trying to keep genetics fresh and the lines good and the health good. But at the same time, as you said, you can kind of understand it because... Yeah, you know, I can see both sides of the argument. And it's not it's not like a hill I'm willing to die on <laughs> or like, you know, I'm saying for, for it, but... But obviously, it would be upsetting yeah. that if you couldn't work with as as a, as a wide of a range of different things. Yeah. Hey guys, quick intermission to let you know the codes for some awesome discounts with our amazing sponsors. Amphibipod are offering five percent off orders under twenty pound with the code HAPINGPOD five and ten percent off orders over twenty pound using code HAPINGPOD ten. Colourful Cresties are offering ten percent off orders over fifteen pound using the code THHPodcast ten. Hapetile Hammocks are offering 10% off orders over £10 using the code HAPINGHAMMOCKS. Be sure to check them out and give them some support. Thank you. So what what was it that made you want to pursue a business out of it? Well, basically, I don't want to do 40 hours a week doing something that I'm not really passionate about. Yeah. Not, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> Best answer <laughs> ever. Yeah, who else, yeah, who else is going to work? 
for no money. You know what I'm saying? Like if you offered you 40 hours, but you weren't going to get paid, I'm like, I'm not getting out of bed. But I would do 40 hours unpaid with my reptiles every week. So it's like, if you can make both of them things the same thing, you live in dream, really, aren't you, to be honest? Yeah, definitely. And I've still got a full-time job currently, like, uh, we're not we're not nowhere near there yet, <laughs> just starting out small time. But it's promising, because like, we've got quite a lot of good feedback. Uh, things have been uh, dead useful. Uh, criticisms that we've had have been pretty constructive. You know, we try us best to change things if we're not 100% on what it is that we thought from before. You know, I mean, if someone pulls something up, we're like, we'll definitely have a look at that, investigate it, see, you know, if there's validity to what's being said. And if there is, we're definitely trying to implicate something to change the way or what it is in which we're doing, you know what I'm that's, saying? That's good. I think that because far too often do you see people who are given constructive criticism or like pointed in the right direction, taking massive offence to it. And like, if you want to get anywhere, you can't be like that. So to hear somebody say, well, if you've got, if you tell us something, we will test it out. And if you've got validity in it, then we'll change it, we'll adapt. It's nice to hear that. Yeah, because we're all friends here, right? Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. So what was your initial aim when you got obsessive, recessive up and running? What was your want, your mindset and your goal? Well, basically, initially, the necessity, I, I have got to have some way of the things that I produce that aren't specifically for my breeding collection. I mean, don't go wrong, it'd be lovely to own everything that I ever made, but... It's just not feasible, yeah. do you know what I'm saying? If a, if a ball python has between like four and ten eggs for a big girl, I mean, some of them push more than that, but you know, I mean, generally speaking, four to ten eggs is, is damn good. And you have two or three of them doing them a year, you're generally speaking not going to want to keep them all. So, And also, you won't be then outreaching to other people and this and that. I mean, they're selling it's okay, but really, most of the time, it just covers basic costs and things, yeah. you know what I'm saying, just the upkeep and the running. So... And like I've still got several snakes from last year's breeding season that I've still got now that I'm still feeding all the time, you know what I mean, looking after, cleaning and things. I'm still holding them for 10, 15 minutes at a time, looking, I'm going, oh, look at that beautiful snake. <laughs> <laughs> uh. That's the thing with breeding as well. Not only do you want to better your lines in your collection, you want to provide somebody with a pet that they can enjoy, a healthy pet that they're not having to worry about and think, oh God, what's going to happen here? And Yeah, and if you can break down the stigma that these are all scary or this and that, you know, things that people have heard when they've never really experienced. Yeah, yeah. I think that's super beneficial. Yeah, well, did you see that news article? A royal that had got out somewhere in the country, I can't remember where it was, and they were scaremongering, basically saying, oh... I've seen yeah, several over the last several the, the years. The dog walkers, um, they're scared, and parents with the kids are saying they're not going in this park anymore, but it's a royal python. Like, it isn't going to savage it's you. It's not going to... Like, you're probably going to walk... You're more, you've got more chance of walking past a dog that's going to take a chunk out here than this royal is going to yeah, move. Yeah, 100%. And... The scaremongering is so harmful to the hobby. It's because I've never, like, I've come across one or two, don't get me wrong, you will find a grumpy royal, like you will with any species. Yeah, I got bit today. <laughs> but nine times out of ten, they're the most placid snake out there. Placid enough to, yeah, like... Yeah. And if they do bite you, literally, I got bit today by an adult female. It drew one tiny speck of blood. Yeah, well, my corns literally. bite worse. My like, I've had my corns bit me worse than than a royal. Like, yeah, my friend got corns, and it's like they like yes. biting you. To be honest with you, they look like they just like eating things. They've got such devious <laughs> yeah. faces. Yeah. But like, so like the scaremongering and stuff. Like it's 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 just not needed. And when you've got when you're trying to introduce an entire new generation of, of hobbyists and future keepers, when you're reading like, oh, 
a royal and then seeing oh dog walkers are scared like it's going to eat an actual dog like no no it's, it's most definitely not yeah that's why this youtube generation is brilliant to be honest with you because literally the scope i was watching brian barcheck since he were doing sbt uh, since he were doing it snake bites tv yeah. uh, right back when it were him and chewy maybe 12 15 years ago like and it was pretty massive then don't get me wrong but he weren't massive like he is now but the level of excitement and entertainment that he gave to me when I was younger, like that type of stuff. And YouTubers now are doing it all the time for kids at younger generation. Yeah. And I just think that that's brilliant because it, it is breaking down the stigma that things like in the reptile industry and all types of walks of life, to be honest with you, you know, spiders, arachnids, you know, scorpions, yeah. like all different types of things. They're not what they are in films and movies. Exactly, yeah. Was it, was it hard to set up like your obsessive recessive business because i know obviously your breeding oh. your, your breeding will be just like for you your personal thing but obviously with the forage box and stuff you're, yeah, you're going to an audience there aren't you you're, you're trying to push out to a consumer so was that difficult yeah you well, see the animal side comes really easy to me because i love animals we get on you just know where you stand with <laughs> yes, but exactly. like 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 literature reading and writing it's not my strongest suit to be honest with you you know computer tech not brilliant at it so the the most difficult thing we're setting it up but i've got a couple of people that are really passionate that work with me and around me like one of my best friends for other people and they help me out with a lot of social media stuff you know help me out with posts and you know i provide up pictures and everything else and then we'll go through what's going out just before it goes out and even then occasionally something's slightly wrong in post you have to go back and do a post edit or uh like, someone's had a, several snakes off us and and we basically said it uh, other day that one of those snakes were a banana pastel. And I realized we'd uploaded a picture of just banana and with the caption for the banana pastel. So, and he was the only person that really messaged or commented on it. So we had to uh, message him back and say like, oh, actually this picture was the wrong picture for us description. We do apologize. Yeah, yeah, it is. Especially when you're dealing with like thousands of pictures of snakes and like yeah. codes for 20, 30, 40 snakes. You're like, oh, is that C1, 2804? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it's like, oh, bugger, that's wrong picture. Yeah, but, no, yeah it happens. Yeah, and like I said, especially, it's like with anything, the more you know, the less you know, because you realise there's way more things to know about it than you ever thought of before you started knowing anything about Actually, it. Actually, I really like that saying. That's true. That is that is a very good saying. The more you yeah, just you have more questions, don't yeah. you? Yeah, like I think yeah, because it's like, open. Oh, what's this about Leos now? And then I've got a million questions about Leos, yeah. and then I, I get told an answer. I'm like, oh, I've got questions about that answer. Yeah. It's like opening the floodgates, really, isn't it? Yeah, but I do like yeah. that. Especially because me and, and my, my partners that I sort of do this way and this and that, we've all got different like little areas of specialities, you know, expertise and all that. So when we're bouncing back and forth, there's normally one of us that knows slightly more about that specific either species or area of, uh, you know, the business, the social media yeah. or whatever. But be between us, we've got quite a good grounding, I think, on most of the stuff. But like I say, we're learning all the time. Like, I don't think anyone's ever at the finished developed stage at any point to be fair like you said you're always yeah, learning we're like we're a lot like that aren't we mm. like if i've got anything to do with like leos and stuff i'll be like stace stace yeah. stace yeah we're all like stacy stacy what's this temperature what's this stacy we're always going back and forth I don't think i don't think stacy asks us for stuff but we certainly are stacy <laughs> <laughs> So do you have do you have any plans to expand in the future? Because I know you said you you know you're just starting off small for now and then. Well, realistically, yeah, we'd love to have our own shop eventually, but 
my ideas are like a reptile shop. What I'd like is like more of a gallery where you can go in and look at all different things. Maybe they're putting on workshops, you know, like once, twice a month, it's bearded dragons or crested geckos or ball pythons. Wait, no, wait, you can come bring kids, just look at some cool stuff, you know, maybe learn some things at the same time. And then realistically for the products that we sold, I'd like them to, you know, be able to just do everything almost online, delivered straight to their house, even if they want to come into the shop. Because realistically, when you're distributing things, I don't think it really makes much sense to have them all in a shop in your town because mm. it, you know what I mean? It means then it's only able to be, you know, bought from people local to your shop in your town. Also then takes up space, which you could be filling with great, awesome, beautiful creatures for people to look and, you know, gaze in wonder over. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a big fan of just, because when I was young, I used to love it when my dad had taken me to, and to be honest with you, most, most of these places, they're all near me. They're all like, they don't do the reptile sections no more. You know what I mean? They just do small fluffy furries yeah. and it's all basic to what all restroom do. I've not really got a good, there used to be a place called Wharf Aquatics in Pinkston, Nottingham, uh, near Nottingham, uh, near me. A place called, uh, oh, the Snakes and Adders at Sheffield. That's an awesome place, but that's still going. Uh, that's the closest place near me. That's like a dead, real big reptile, you know what I mean? Reptile place. There's another small one that's not too far from that. But generally speaking, I have to go far afield to be able to go and see and look at a lot of animals, even if I'm not buying anything. I just used to, especially when I was younger, I just used to like to go look at all big tanks with fish, yeah. look at yeah. all lizards and all different setups. Like it was like a day out, like a day, uh, I don't know, like, a, you know, with Alton Towers or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah different theme parks. I think we have to travel ages. Yeah, I think, like, off the top of my head, there's like, I can count on one hand how many big reputable reptile shops are out there. Snakes and Adders definitely like on Yeah, and that's not far from yeah. me, so that's brilliant. Like, everything you see coming from Snakes and Adders is literally the best like information they can give and they've got some of the most awesome species and stuff. And it would be Yeah, his range yeah. yeah, his range is phenomenal. He's always getting fresh stuff yeah. in from different places. I mean I don't know how he does it, but it is brilliant. <laughs> like anytime you hear of anybody going in, they've always got nothing but praise for um yeah. Shaz and, and and his staff and it's like that's what we need more of like instead of just trying to push for money all the time there's shops like him yeah. that push for the, the the care of the reptile and the better of the species regardless of which type of species it is and yeah. to have somewhere that would you could go and just be solely educated and introduce like the entire new generation of possible hobbyists would be fantastic because as you, as you said a lot of places can't do the reptiles or don't do the reptile side anymore so it's becoming like yeah, not yeah. so much taboo, but it's more of a oh well, they're not being pushed out there and they're not being showcased like they should because reptiles are an incredible animal to keep and it could be just oh, yeah, insects or it could be you know a dragon or although saying that keeping insects, insects are pretty cool oh, to yeah. keep and look at. To be honest with you, you know visually to look we, at insects are doing stuff all like, the time. Like don't get me wrong, Stacy hates them, but we've got some beetles, right? Oh, nice. So, well, I absolutely love the sun beetles. Emily, my oldest, she can't stand them because one flew out at her and it just kind of wigged her out a bit. So whenever you go near the sun beetles now, she'll just run out. Like, I'll tell, like, I opened it once and all you heard was this massive, I don't even know where she got it from. She was like, oh, Jesus. I just bumped balls it out of the, the reptile room. <laughs> but, like, I, I've got, like, the hissing cockroaches and everything. And I love watching oh, nice. them because you just move in such a small, intricate way. But, but when you know what, like behind them so how important they are to like the ecosystem and their own little environment they're in it makes them that much more fascinating to me oh yeah 100 percent. so i think your idea of having 
somewhere dedicated to educate people and, and display these animals because as some of them are absolutely fantastic display species so like your dart frogs and stuff when they're set up properly oh yeah 100%. so pretty and so immense i think probably you could work into it like yourself as like a sort of a conservation thing for yourself as well so not only are you helping people you're helping species as well Oh yeah, hundred percent. Like I'd love to do anything yeah. like that. Anything that's beneficial uh, in them aspects. Like and I like when we'd never in contact with anyone before, saying like, "Oh, can you take this reptile and things?" And I know it does happen because, like, say when I was young and I had my first uh, fish full of lizard and you know turtles, I ended up passing them to my friend's mum, who were experienced uh, with all these types of things. When I didn't have time and space anymore, yeah. As soon as that guy contacted us saying like, "Oh, I've got this gecko. Like, uh, I'd love to look after it, but like, I'm going away doing all this stuff, so I won't be able to." Is there any chance? I'm like 100%, like, get your send down now. And it's such a cool thing in all this Moorish gecko. I can't get over how cool it is. <laughs> so what what are your plans for this year then? We've, we've talked about how you want to eventually expand. Ooh. So what, what are your goals for this year, whether it be with your, you know, your, your business side of it or, or the, the breeding side? What really, like, uh, the business side just creeps on forward, getting, like, incrementally slightly smaller I'd like to say all the time, but do you know what I mean? Like over the period, like we're getting slightly more followers on Facebook and views and we're getting slightly more sales, you know what I mean, incrementally. Uh, so the business thing, I'm happy with that just running its course, you know, seeing where it goes. But like I say, I love, I love just keeping and the breeding. Uh, so I've got some good things meant to come in, well, hopefully coming out of some of my pairings this year. Like we've got a Mojave Blitz and we're putting that to some stuff because realistically I can't find Blitz almost anywhere in England. Realistically, you're looking at on Morph Market, it's all in Euros when you start looking for Blitz stuff. So I want to get that into a few of my things because I don't 100% know what it... A lot of stuff for its combinations aren't even on like World of All Pythons and Morph Market and things. So I, you, I don't want even know what exactly they'd look like. You just have a basic idea with what it's like with other things. So I'm really excited for some of those projects this year. We've got a lot of good Pied stuff coming, uh, some Albino stuff coming. And then lots of different, like, small single genes that we're trying to mix into obs- uh, to recessive stuff. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so obsessive-recessive, you mentioned earlier. Yeah, so uh, I'm pretty much obsessed, and I love the recessive stuff. <laughs> I love I, I love things that aren't visual, and then something else that's not visual, and then you can put them together. You end up with this crazy thing that you think, how can two normal-looking things end up looking like that? Yeah. So realistically, we were just looking for a name, a semi-decent name that had a bit of a ring to it. And I just liked that one over the other ones that we were coming up with. Well, I do, I do really like your name. To be fair, like it is a really catchy name, obsessive recessive. Mm-hmm. It just sat, it flows off the tongue so well, though. Obsessive. Recessive. Yeah, the only problem that comes well. with it is people spelling. It. <laughs> yeah, so many. <laughs> I so basically, one of those we do, people. <laughs> so basically, we're just trying to abbreviate coming like, like OR, and then we have ORHQ, where I'm going to do my own little two-minute videos and things. Hopefully, coming in future. Um, so that bit, um, obsessive recessive headquarters. Yeah. And then we've gone to have all those merch made up because we've just had a logo made, nice OR in gold. And then we'll have it with reptiles, or, you know, other keywords from us, yeah. from this company. So hopefully the brand will be known pretty much from the, the gold logo. Yeah. As opposed to everyone needing to know the full name all the time. Because really that is the only like, difficulty we've put with people like, oh, that's that's a bit much. How do you spell all that? I'm like, yeah, I suppose that is <laughs> uh, a slight hindrance to, you know what I mean, the purpose of setting up a catchy name. What's one difficulty you've faced in the hobby? Like I say, the social media stuff, I'm not brilliant at that. So that's like a technical difficulty. But like what, I mean, I love breeding, but I've had a couple of clutches where there's been a couple of unviable babies. Yeah. 
and and that's that's ruthless like that's not yeah it isn't nice when that happens i think that i think that happens to every breeder really at some point yeah it's got to i've got a friend that's a farmer and like he does lambs and pigs and chickens every year and stuff like that and i'll tell him about it he's like yeah sure you you can't they they won't all live they're like literally nothing of anything all of it lives all time i'm like yeah i know it's just Mm. it's just a bit crap in it yeah that's it but even worse than that, I've had a couple of babies that they they were born, they looked semi-alright, yeah. but they just would never... I tried them, literally, all, all the different ways you can try to establish for a feed, they just wouldn't go for it, so you just watch them deteriorate. Like, and I literally, I tried almost everything I could think of, different like methods of heating, you know, warm bag, air dryer, um, kettle, you know, different prey items, you know, multis, rats, mice, sizes, shapes, colours, all things you can think on. Everything less using one of them gun things, which just slurries it yeah. up. And I, I, I never got a slurry gun or whatever it is. I've seen them like, and I've seen people use them since. But literally this year, other than three babies that were born with actual defects, every single thing survived. We had like 40 eggs. There were three that when they were born, I were almost 100% sure weren't going to make it. Uh, there were one that were touch and go. And then that one, that one's sand now. So at 40, I lost three. And that's not a bad year, to be honest. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's that's all right. I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I don't want to lose any. But th- this year is the year where I thought, you know what, this probably could be an actual business business. And like I say, I've still got almost half the things left now. So that, that I had from that clutch, I've, I think I've got about 15, 16 snakes left, some stuff up on Morph Market, one, one, one or two maybe not quite sizable enough uh, to put on Morph Market. But other than that, and then like a couple of bits to mix back into collection, and we've sold off a couple of things from the collection that they'll replace and stuff. But generally speaking, this year coming, I think will be the year where we actually either ground ourselves or see things that we have to change, you know, like diversify from necessarily like ball pythons uh, so much, go more into geckos, go... Because I love all these creatures and I'll never not have several of most of them. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But uh, you don't want to be breeding things then if people aren't buying a lot of them or this or that, or market's not there or stuff. There's there's no point just keep breeding things and breeding things, you know what I'm saying? Which is nice about the ball pythons because it's once a year. They have a nice big breed, so you get quite a lot of sales at one point. But then, like with the crested geckos, they lay eggs consistently. So you've normally got two eggs going in, two eggs, two babies coming out, and that's grand. That's lovely to see. Literally the other day, I was just taking two eggs out that were babies and putting them in the bioactives. I was just taking then two eggs from the nesting place of the crested geckos and putting them straight in the incubator. I'm like, that's cool as. Oh, I love crested gecko babies. Yeah, mate, they're brilliant. And you know what? So, and I'm not like, I'm, I'm not calling or having a pop at anyone because I see a lot of crested geckos that have lost their tails. No, so I'm not saying like it's, it's a massive percentage, but I do see it like quite regular. But I'm like, of the time now, for the last part three years, we've had adult geckos. And like over the last year and a half, two years, we've had 12, 10, 12 baby geckos. But like none have ever lost their tails. And like, I think it's. I don't think it's difficult for them to do it necessarily, but like uh, I see a lot and I've not experienced it yet. I mean, I've been terrified for one to do it. <laughs> it's very freaky. It's very freaky. I get jibbed out. In like the five years that I've had Cresties, I've only ever lost two tails and that was when I moved from my ex's house to here. And that was with two of my... Yeah, so like a lot of transit and this and that. Yeah, and it wasn't exactly the best transit either because I literally had like a week to move like 50 animals here 
yeah. um, before he kicked off. So, yeah, they I did have those two drop tails, and it was the freakiest thing I've ever seen. But in the over, like, I've probably had now over probably 200 decos I've seen and like has come through here and stuff like that with like wrestling. yeah so it's not it's yeah so it's I not super food. regular yeah. is it you know what I'm saying I find more yeah so I just I'm, I'm just terrified we're having it first time <laughs> yeah yeah like it is honestly you will probably scream but I find the more people like people that have more tail drops tend to be the ones that cohab in large groups or keep their babies together in oh large. yeah we only ever have two we only have two together and we keep the two eggs that are born together in a tank together. Yeah, some people keep so that's like, basically how we work our gecko system. Babies into like one thirty cube and stuff like yeah. that, and I find that they then have like the missing and it, and tails and things. Yeah, and it wouldn't be that. Well, I'm not saying it wouldn't be that detrimental, but it'd be less detrimental mm. if crested geckos grew the tails back. Yeah, like uh, I've been doing some research on these gargoyle geckos that we might be acquiring. Gargoyle geckos, although if they drop the tails, sometimes they grow them back quite well. Like them Moorish geckos, I didn't realize how well he was going to grow his tail back. Mm. We in space for like nearly a month. It's almost what I imagine to be full size, like looking like a dead decent little tail. I'm like, that's amazing. Like an axolotl, you know what I'm saying? When they just grow oh a piece God, of the sends back, I'm like, that is one of the coolest things. It's just mental. They regrow, you can chop an axolotl's brain half off and it'll regrow its brain. That's mental. Really? I didn't know they yeah, could do Yeah, as far as I'm that. aware, you can... Mate, I'm, I'm, I'm like literally, I'm going to say 90% because I'm sure sometimes when I get a bit of interesting information, it's something that sticks with you, right? Yeah. Like, even if it's not about species that you specifically watch or like. Let's like Jesus lizard runs on water. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh my God, uh, yeah. I think the basilisk, are they called? Yeah. So like, I don't specifically know a lot about that species, but I know that interesting fact about it. Like the axolotls, I'm pretty sure you can almost chop half of them off including part of the brain and they'll grow it all back mm. i do fact check me on that and i'd love to know if i'm if i'm that not right cool. but because uh, i won't then be telling people something that's not correct <laughs> i'll fact check you and let yeah. you know. yeah i like gargs i have my yes yeah, you're having people commenting on podcast oh no we were wrong wow. <laughs> i do i really do want to keep axolotls i i would like to keep axolotls but with the amount that I have at the minute, I don't have space to keep an axolotl and all the water changes and everything that cause me stress. So, <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, very much cause me a lot of stress. The amount of stuff I keep is based on the ability I have to be able to keep it. Yeah, keep well, it. If I had a lot, if I had a million pounds and I've way more animals. Yeah, like I'm the same. Like I really want some mountain horn dragons, but oh my God, yeah. feasibly, I'd want or. I'd want a lot of room for it just because I know yeah. how active they can be and how, how beautiful they look when they've got that space and that freedom and that what you can achieve. 100%. So I don't have the room for that. So I will just put that on the shelf until maybe when you know, I can use one of their bedrooms. We never know. Yeah. We never know. One day. <laughs> just be like, kids, room. I'm sorry. You're sleeping on this sofa. 16. Off you go. Yes. Off you go, I want some horn dragons. Yeah, out. I've had plans for your bedroom for years. What office? No, I'm putting big lizards in there. I'm putting small lizards just in there. Out the but not your, not your bed, though. Or I might just pull a Dougie Smith and turn the entire of the back garden into, like, specific rooms for massive species because what he did for his um, retics and stuff is absolutely out of this world. And if I could afford that and achieve that, I would definitely do something like that for a species. Maybe not a retic. But for a, for a larger species, I'd definitely do something like that. But at the moment, it is just a pipe dream for me. Yeah, because that's like the gold standard, isn't it? If you can have it in a display that like that is is 
not I'm not saying too big for it, but giving it way enough space to explore different like natural. I'm not gonna say ranges, but different areas. You know, highs, lows, yeah. in in crevasses, out of things. You know, under stuff. You know, all different places that like different temperatures, humidities. If you can get all different types of climates and uh, areas in in one viv, so it can explore all places it would realistically naturally to a point. That's like the gold standard. Like, Definitely. I mean, we try as best in, in all the setups. Mm. I imagine we all do. But even there's still a limit to the, you know, you know, a foot and a half by two foot eye with the plants that you can put in there for crested geckos. Yeah. I mean, there's loads of room for them. But if you could put a two in something that's three times size, right? I mean, you might not see them as much. But when you see them jump for one thing to another thing, it'd be way cooler. Yeah. Wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm saying like, yeah. 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 But like I say, it's about room, you know quality of care you know you do your best under your parameters don't yeah you? do you plan on getting an AAL yeah so we do we don't currently need one for the things that we yeah. do but like I say with us wanting a shop front at some point hopefully this year towards backside but I mean maybe next year once we've got uh, everything to a point where we can because like I say we're, we're about to have a child and everything yeah. else so like we got, we're juggling a lot, of, a lot of balls a lot of plates <laughs> all at the same time but yeah and as soon as we've got the ability to, you know, interact with the actual public public, not just people that are coming to like buy an odd snake or an odd gecko off us or whatever, then we will definitely be getting a license, uh, the AL license. But yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it's all exciting stuff, learning, because it's all new, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? New stuff, bit scary, bit exciting all the yeah. time. What is one piece of advice you'd offer someone that's just entering the hobby? Basically, probably do what you're really into and what you really like because if it starts getting tedious like you'll start cutting corners and things like that like if you've got too much workload for yourself and that, that's why initially i brought my friend in because my workload were getting way high and he were already well interested like he had his own things going on this and that and he's one of my best mates anyway so i'm like yep yeah, you me and you if you want to do stuff together We'll, we'll, you know, we, we've got some snakes that we co-own that we've got clutches coming this year that's going to be like both of our clutches and stuff. So it'd be basically do what's within your reach while you're doing it all the time and only work with things that you're dead, like enthusiastic about and you're excited for. So like picking out the, you know, the morphs that you like and, you know, not breeding things for profit yeah. or this or that, going for what you really love. Because like someone's, like someone's mentioned earlier, uh, yeah, yeah, with the, um, with the ice pod mugs. Like I say, if, if you love that, there's going to be other people that love it. I'm sure, you know what I'm saying? So if you just pick the best things that you like, I'm sure there's other people that are going to like them things too. So that's basically my, my general advice to people newly starting to be. And also keep it fun, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Just keep it fun. Keep it interesting. Get other people involved. Show them your stuff because it keeps you interested as well. I've got to, Yeah, I've got to completely agree with you on that. That is very sound advice. If there's one piece of advice you could give your past self, what would it have Ooh. been? What, if, if, obviously, this is industry-based, I'm yeah, assuming. Yeah, like, it's to uh, do with your, um, your, your dry goods side or whether the breeding and the keeping side, either or. Oh, uh, well, dry goods side, like I say, this has been a pretty positive experience, so probably have to be keeping side, and it would probably be... So I've moved around lots of different beddings and things for like uh, for my snakes and stuff like that, and it would probably be, you know, I probably should have got a different product range like tried all different product ranges sooner to find the things that worked best in my setup that i like because i've had several things like bedding wise that have all had slight negatives like i'm, I'm on air push now generally speaking most of the time yeah. different sizes varieties other bits of different things mixed in with it but generally speaking my butter and bread it holds humidity great 
it tends not to ever really mould. You know, you just, when you give them a clean, you you mix wet in with dry, turn it all around so it warm side dries again. It, it's the best product for my setup. Not that it would be for everyone's, but it would definitely be check the product ranges, all different variants that you can get for your different things before like just, you know, a, settling down and agreeing with one yeah probably that and that same for lights heat mats you know thermostats definitely thermostats the the range in thermostats and the quality of the ranges i find is like exponentially different with based on thermostats it's same realistically if you want to buy a really good quality bulb yes but really good quality bulbs cost really good quality prices yeah i think i think that's one thing in the hobby that some people seem to to forget is yes it's costly but you are actually paying for the quality. It's not like, you know, a pair of shoes. Yeah, you can pay she... £20 for a pair of shoes or you can pay 150 and they can weigh exactly the same. But in the hobby, it genuinely is. The more you pay, the better quality the yeah. product because you're paying for all the years of testing, all the years of quality control. And yeah, I've, I've used low-quality bulbs where I've put one in a week. Yeah. You know I mean before like bearded dragon bulbs i've used low quality bulbs where i put one in a week and i've used medium quality bulbs where you get a month two months three months out of a bulb like oh three months that's like good times out of a bulb. <laughs> like, yeah. like, like oh my god savings on savings <laughs> uh, but yeah definitely and also do like all youtubers and stuff that are you know keen on what you're keen on Watch lots of different ones find three or four different guys that you like and taking all the stuff that they're putting out there for yeah. you yeah, got to agree with that as well. Like, there's no better experience than sharing other people's because someone could have been doing it. You could have been doing it five minutes, could have been doing it 20 years. Someone's always going to have done something differently to you and has their experience to share. Yeah. And, it, it and if your share experiences, your one year of learning might equate to several years of actual learning. If you had to trial and test every single thing yourself, like, yeah. you know, I was talking about the UVB bulbs earlier, the distances from, from and to and yeah. stuff like that. If you had to trial and test everything yourself, you'd literally not be able to keep anything and next to anything. The sharing of knowledge lets us all learn stuff exponentially faster. Definitely, because the likes of Reptile Lighting has probably spent, what, 15 years researching themselves and have taught me mm. all of their 15 years of work in the past few months to the best, like, the best of my understanding of it. So the sharing yeah. of knowledge is definitely one of the, the greatest things in the hobby. Yeah, know what you know, know what you don't. Find someone that knows what you don't know and ask yeah, them. Precisely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've really enjoyed the episode. It's been really good getting to know you and all about your business, Obsessive Recessive. Please go and give Shay a follow on his social media and check out their online shop for some tasty treats for your reptiles. Just whilst we're closing, we'd also like to give a final shout out to our sponsors, Amphibipod, Colourful Cresties and Herptile Hammocks. Go and check them out if you don't already and see what amazing exotics products they have to offer. Thank you for joining us, Shay. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me, guys. No problem. And everybody listening, keep an ear out because we'll be definitely having him on again. I can't wait. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.